The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. First of all, can I ask you uh, how many people are studying Buddhism or practicing now? Oh, almost everyone. And uh, how many people have studied Sanskrit or Pali? Oh, then, oh, I see. Thank you. Uh, so, first, uh, let me introduce myself first. And uh, now I, I, I'm a scholar of Pali, but uh, I have studied, I have practiced uh, as a Zen monk for two years when I was young. But uh, I dropped out, so, and then I, I, I changed my major, and then I began, uh, I studied uh, after my two years training of Zen uh, monastery, I came to this academic field, and then uh, I, I, I get the, I, I studied, I'm studying, still studying uh, Theravada Buddhism from academic perspective. So oh, then I, I have published, I, I finished PhD at University of Tokyo uh, four years ago, and then I published my book on Buddha Gosa, who is a famous monk of Theravada Buddhism. If I have a time, I will explain about him later. Uh, and then, but my book is in Japanese, so, and then now I'm translating my book into English now, so, so that's why I'm uh, staying here now. So, and then, so in, at that point, I, you see, uh, I dropped out from practice, so that's, so in that point, you are greater than, than I. <laughs> so, so, and then, uh, so today I want to talk about Pali from historical uh, viewpoint and then philosophical viewpoint. So, and then my friend Fred will talk about, he's a linguist, so he will talk about the grammar and uh, from the linguistic perspective. So, is that okay? So, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, and then, I'm not native speaker of English, so I need your help. <laughs> when I make mistakes or something, so please help me. <laughs> so then, uh, I'd like to talk about the party from uh, the, not from beginning of Buddhism, but from Indo-European language. So, I think almost of you know uh, about the concept of Indo-European language, but uh, so do you, uh, th this is the founder of uh, Indo-European language, Sir William Jones, he's English, and then he was, yeah, he, he, actually he, uh, he, he was born in uh, aristocrat family in Britain, and then, but the, he, his father was dead when he was a child, so he was very poor when he was childhood. So after he graduated from Oxford, he got a position in then uh, India. He became a lawyer. Uh, then and then, but uh, he was a very he he was really genius. Uh, he could, he, at Oxford, he learned uh, more than 10 
European languages, including Latin and Greek. So, and then after he came to India, he realized that uh, Indian languages is very close to European languages, particularly Sanskrit is very similar to Latin and Greek. So that was his findings. And then he, he published his article on that European lang- origin of European languages is the same as origin of Indian languages. So it was very big finding. It's, everyone was surprised because nobody th- thought that uh, Indian, European language is the same as uh, Indian language. So it was just a colony for British people. But uh, <laughs> language of a colony people is the same as the British language. So, so at that point, yeah, your language is a, your ancestor of your language is the same as a part in Sanskrit. So, so it's a, it's not just a Oriental language. So this is a map of Indian. Indo-European languages. Can you see? Uh, can you see the uh, most red point? It's north of the Caspian Sea. We think that it was the original place of Proto-Indo-European languages. Maybe it was the place that Indo-European languages began. So after that, we, we're not sure when it started. But after that, maybe it spread to the east and west. So on the one hand, it went to the eastern Europe. And on the other hand, it came to Iran and North India. So still now, if you compare the eastern uh, European languages with the uh, Iranian, or uh, North Indian languages like uh, Hindi, Hindi and Sanskrit, uh, it's very close. So let me show some examples. For example, are uh, the oh yes, can, can, do you, oh you can use your finger with the shadow. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Oh that's yeah. Uh, do you know what country is here? Anybody? Baltian? Uh, yeah, 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 Poland is here. And then more north. Yeah, yeah, Estonia. Yeah, exactly. And then, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Estonia and Latvia. If you see the, the word of God in Latvia and Estonia, it's a, it is, they say, Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They say the God as a a Deva, which is absolutely the same as the Sanskrit. And they they don't say God. Yeah. So, or Devs. They don't say Devs or God, but they say Deva. So, exactly the same as uh, Sanskrit and Pali. 
So they are still keeping old Indo-European language. So we think that maybe this language here is, uh, has a, a still keeping the old feature of Proto-Indo-European languages. So, oh yeah, actually I have a Latvian friend, and she she oft, she's also a scholar of Sanskrit, and she always saying, "Oh, this is my language. This is my language." So, yeah. So it's astonishing. And then, yeah, and then, yeah, he, so you, and then you see the Iranian here, and the old, one of the oldest Iranian language is uh, still in the uh, Avesta, which is the scripture of Zoroaster religion, it which is the old Iranian religion. So it's also still keeping the uh, all these languages. And then in India, they have uh, Veda, the scripture of Hinduism or Brahmanism. And then their language is also very old. So then after, after came here, they, it spread this way and this way. And then it became... Latin, Greek, and Latin, and oh, Fred came. <laughs> and at, after that, it came to uh, the English. So, and then he's a specialist of Indo-European language. So he will explain the, uh, this kind from this perspective. So, so then in in. So you can say that the Pali and Sanskrit are your uncle, <laughs> you see, in the family tree of language. So then, uh, 5th century BC, uh, Gautam Buddha appeared. He is, uh, you know, founder of Buddhism, and he at, 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 at his time, uh, the major religion in India is uh, Brahmanism. And in Brahmanism, uh, there are four classes. We say that the caste. So, best upper, uppest, upper caste is uh, uh, Brahman, who is a priest. And the kshat, next is a Kshatriya. It's a kings and warriors, and then Vaishya is uh, farmers and then uh, traders, and the other people are called uh, Shudra. And this it's strict uh, uh, classes. Strict, there were strict distinction uh, of classes, uh, but uh, Buddha. Uh, protested that, and then he began his new religion. Of course, he had no consciousness. He had no intention that, oh, I, I begin my religion or something like that. But uh, after he began his teachings, many disciples followed him, and then it became Buddhism. So, and then, oh, then, do you know this, this coin? This is, it's, this is called Kanishika coin. It was made in 
second century in the Kshana uh, uh, Empire. And then this is, a, I think this is a one of the oldest Buddha's image. And then can you read it? B U D D O. Buddha. So they use the, in, it's a, Kshana uh, Empire uh, is uh, uh, not only include not only North India, but also oh, Pakistan and Afghanistan now, the, the, the area. So then in these areas that uh, uh, they use, it, it was a, a Greek colony before Kshana Empire. So that's why they use uh, this kind of uh, letters. It's a, it looks like an alphabet, you know. I, I like these coins. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then this is Bodhgaya, the place that uh, Buddha was born. Ha, ha, yeah, have you? Right, right. Uh, have you been there? Anybody? Oh, oh. that's. Uh... Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the place where he attained enlightenment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and then th th this is the uh, Bodhi tree. Under this tree, he attained enlightenment. They believe. Right, right. This is very beautiful, isn't it? And Sarunath, this is the place uh, he started teaching. And then at that time, they had, he, he had only five disciples. <laughs> and so now, let me explain that the, the position of Sanskrit in ancient India. Uh, as I said, at that time, uh, the, the ma major religion in India was uh, Brahmanism, and that they believed that the caste system. So, Sanskrit was not language which everyone can learn, because it is very sacred language. It's a language of Veda, Hinduist uh, or Brahmanist uh, scripture. So, at that time, only priests, Brahmins, could teach Sanskrit first, and then upper three classes, Brahmins, Kshatriya, Vaishya, could learn Sanskrit. And other people, Shudras, were not allowed to learn Sanskrit. So there was a very big distinction. And uh, so, this is their the teaching. So Sanskrit it means a perfect language, Sanskrita, ukti, perf perfect Sanskrit. It means perfect language in Sanskrit. <laughs> so it, so that, that's why Shudras uh, were not allowed to learn Sanskrit. I think maybe percentage of Shudras was uh, more than 70% or 80%, I think. Anybody knows it? 
we don't know population in ancient India, so we are not sure. But uh, I think more than half percent of people were shooters. I think. So, Yeah, exactly. Labors and then, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And then a kind of, uh, uh, yeah, low, lowest class in that time. So, but, but anyway, so then I, I, Buddha criticized it. And then he said that uh, there's no meaning. Even if you are, even if you are, means you have a nose and you have a mouth, you have one nose, you have a one mouth, and you have two hands. There's no difference between Brahmins and Shudras. That This is actually what he said in Paris Canon. And then he, so then he said that uh, practice what you are doing is most important. Which family you were born is not important. It's, it does make sense. What you are doing is most important. So, and then he, he denied the distinction between these classes. So then, then after he started his, uh, he, he start, he began teaching, he sent his disciples to people in ma- many areas. And, what he said is, please teach my, please send my message in, let me say in Pali language. He said, Sakaya, Sakaya uh, Nirutia. Please teach Sakaya Nirutia. Interpretation of this Sakaya Nirutia, this is Pali word. It's very difficult, but uh, recently, uh, no, no, no. Uh, most now, most scholar believes that it means in each your languages. Teach my, tell my teaching in each each languages. So it means not Sanskrit, but languages in each areas. So that's why at the beginning. Buddhist scripture was not transmitted in, was transmitted in not Sanskrit, but a kind of dialect, you see. So, this is why, this is the one of the reasons that, uh, Pali, uh, Buddhist canon is transmitted in Pali. Uh, okay, then I, 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 I want to explain it more later. And then, so what was the Buddha's language? Language. So maybe we can say three points. The Buddha probably spoke language of Magadha area. Magadha area is, can, can you see the North India like this? And the Ganga River comes here. And the Magadha area is a major place of uh, uh, Ganga River. There is a center of India at that time. And uh, maybe we think that he spoke language of this area. It's, we say, Ardha Magadhi. And then, second, 
the Buddha ordered his disciples to preach people in their languages. So languages in various areas. So and then after his death or his parinibbana, several schools compiled their canon in each languages. So there are actually there are many schools, not only Theravada but also Sarvasivadin, uh, Dharmaguptaka, Mahishasaka. Several schools uh, had uh, their canons, we think, and then. For example, Sarvasvada kept their scriptures in uh, Gandhari first, then later uh, they changed their scripture into Sanskrit. That's interesting. They prefer that uh, sacred language. Of course, in, Sans- in India, uh, Sanskrit was a more prestigious language, so they changed their scriptures into uh, they t- in a sense, translated their scriptures into more prestigious language. So, however, Theravada kept uh, their canon in Pali. So then, what is the Pali? Oh, oh. I will tell you that. So, <laughs> uh, so then, what is the Pali? Uh, Actually, there, there are two hypotheses. Two hypotheses. Ah, uh, let me say, three hypotheses. Uh, so, first one is a traditional opinion. Uh, in Theravada tradition, they believe that Pali is exactly the same as Ardhamagadi, namely the language of the Buddha itself. They believe so. And then second, uh, particularly, as this is a, a little bit old hypothesis, but uh, uh, secondary, uh, Pali is a long dialect of ancient West India because they, they think that because uh, the, at the second, third century, King Ashoka had an empire, so he ordered in, in, in many places, and then he uh, built his order in the uh, uh, Ashokan scription, Ashokan pillar. And they, if you investigate his Ashokan inscription, you can see the uh, each area's language. So Pali is most similar to dialect of West Indian language. So that's why they think that uh, it's from West India. So, and then thirdly, uh, uh, Professor K.R. Norman, who is uh, one of the most famous scholar of Pali, uh, he's professor in Cambridge University. Uh, actually, he's my teacher's teacher. My teacher is Dr. Mangalit Kong, who is a compiler of a new Pali dictionary. And he's a student of Professor Norman. So, and he thinks that uh, Pali is uh, maybe a kind of uh, a lingua franca in ancient India. Uh, it's not Sanskrit, but uh, after mixture of many dialects, 
they made a created a common language in uh, ancient India. So they think that this is a kind of Linga Franca in ancient India, Palestine. Yeah. Yes, please. In that hypothesis, the idea is it was not spoken, it was just a, a canonical language that was created, is that what you're saying? Uh, how, y yes, in a half. But uh, it was also spoken languages, but uh, it's mixed, how say, mixed spoken languages to create their canon. Make sense? Yeah, so, yeah, it's almost so. Oh, please ask me wh wh whenever you want to ask, please. Yeah, yes, please. That answer confuses me a little bit because uh -huh. I had been under the impression that Pali was a spoken language only and not written down in a particular script, but was only written down in the script of the language of the compiler, Sanskrit or um, Sinhalese? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's true. Exactly, it's true. But, but I, I'm talking about the beginning of Pali. After, yeah, it, it's true, it's true. I will explain that later. But if it was compiled and written as a lingual franca, as opposed to being a verbal-only lingual franca, and then was only transcribed in the characters of another language, two different... Yeah. Okay. But it wasn't written until much later. It was just it was a preliterate society. Right. Right. It was written. It was written. Yeah. It's a right. Barbar. Barbar language. Yeah. It's oral language. So, but uh, uh, yeah. It, it, it's a uh, if if you compare the Pali with uh, ancient Indian languages, I say that uh, it looks. Uh, Professor Norman thinks that uh, Pali is a mixed, uh, mixed, mixed oral languages because Pali have uh, many features of dialects of each areas. Not only one point, but also several Western Indians, West Indian language, Eastern Indian language, North Indian language. That's why he thinks that uh, it's a mixed kind of lingua franca of ancient Indian languages. So, but anyway, we, we, we are not sure, actually. <laughs> we cannot prove in, in that. So, was perhaps Pali used as a trade language, like uh, written Chinese, where no matter what dialect was the regional one, it, could, it was used to communicate among all the different dialects? Yeah, yeah. Everybody could understand Pali, because it was like a... Exactly, exactly. Yeah, th that's his point, I think. Yeah, right. So, so can I go to next? Yeah. And then, as I said, some school uh, transcribed the, the scripture in Sanskrit. So this is uh, one of the oldest Sanskrit. Um, it's not oldest, but it's uh, Sanskrit manuscript from Nepal. Yeah, it's uh, Larita Vistara. Uh, it's a biography of the Buddha. So this is a Nepal Sanskrit manuscript. So then, uh, at the third century BC, King Ashoka uh, unified India. He is the first emperor who unified uh, all India and uh, Pakistan. 
So, and then he uh, promoted Buddhism in his country, and he, he sent his uh, missions to uh, his empire, not only empire, but also his uh, foreign countries. So after his time, Buddhism became a kind of a world religion. So this is a, a Mauryan Empire, the uh, empire of King Ashoka. And, you know, uh, this is India and Pakistan and Afghanistan here and Sri Lanka. And his empire was like this. And this is the capital city, Patriputra. And then, uh, you know, at the, at the latest, at the third century, uh, Buddhism spread his empire. And then, not, but in addition, he sent it foreign countries like Sri Lanka and then other uh, areas like Central Asia or uh, Iran. So after that, Buddhism became a, a world religion. So, so this is Taftibai. It's in Pakistan. Uh, this is also from third century. Uh, this uh, the oldest mon monastery. H have you been there, somebody? Oh, it's 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 a uh, now it's registered in, as a. World Heritage. It's very fantastic monastery. It's on the top of the mountain. And then it's, a, as you know, Pakistan is a very hot, hot country, but it's very cool. It's very dry. And then, and then I, I imagine that monks could meditation uh, very comfortably. <laughs> And Sanchi, it's Middle India, and this is a famous stupa of Sanchi. This is also very old, maybe first, first century BC. And this is Amaravati, South India. This place was famous for Mahayana Buddhism. Yeah, it's for, uh, the, near Mama Amaravati, there is a place called uh, Nangarujuna Konda. Nangarujuna is a famous philosopher of Mahayana, but, but uh, it, yeah, it was also place of origin of Mahayana, I think. And Anuradhapura in Sri Lanka. Uh, Anuradhapura was a capital city in Sri Lanka, and then, uh, still now you can see many stupas in Anuradhapura. This is uh, the Jetavana Vihara stupa. Yes, it's interesting. In the fifth century, Chinese monk Fa Xian uh, traveled in India. And he also stayed in Sri Lanka for two years. And then he, he record, he's recording about uh, Sri Lanka in his book. And then he mentions this stupa. So it's interesting. It's me. <laughs> this is a pond in 
Anuradhapura. Anuradhapura is uh, on the top of mountains, so uh, the king made a pond to keep water uh, in this area. So this is from 3rd century BC. So as you see that uh, at the 1st century, Buddhism spread this area. So from India. Yeah, then Sri Lanka is here. Myanmar is here. So, as you see, this is a, as how say, a trade routes. This is, a, this is a Silk Road. And uh, this is a route in the, on the sea. So, I think through this trade route, Buddhism spread into, into the world. So, and then, okay, then, before I start about party, let, let, let me explain the languages of Buddhist scriptures. So, still, now, we have a me- three kinds of uh, languages of Buddhist scripture now. First one is uh, uh, Chinese, because, uh, let me back. Chinese, after that, this Buddhism spread Chinese and we cannot see, but uh, Korea and Japan and Vietnam. Vietnam. So this became, uh, almost all Buddhism is Mahayana Buddhism. And then they, they translated Buddhist canon from Sanskrit into Chinese. And then still now they are using Chinese Buddhist canon. And then next is a Tibet, Tibetan, Tibet. So it's, uh, they translated, this is also Mahayana or Vajrayana Buddhism. And then they translated from Sanskrit into Tibet in, at the, from 8th century. So Tibet, Mongol, and Bhutan, the Buddhist canon is transmitted in uh, Tibet. So then first, Buddhist canon in Chinese. Chinese canon is used in China, Korea, Vietnam, and Japan. Chinese culture spread to Korea, Vietnam, and Japan with the Chinese Buddhist canon. So, Please imagine uh, Latin in Western Europe. Uh, in, middle, uh, in middle time, the, uh, Latin was a kind of language for educated people. And then in, they, they read books in Latin, and then they spoke, intelligent people spoke Latin in, to each other, and then in church, Catholic church, all ceremony was, uh, in all ceremonies, they spoke Latin. So it was sacred language and the language of educated people. It's the same thing, that the Ch- Asian Chinese was in ancient East Asia is a kind of Latin in Western 
Europe. So, uh, Buddhist canon was uh, read in Chinese, and then in their ceremony, they speak uh, Chinese. So, for example, in Japan, uh, in, if you go to Buddhist temple, they don't speak Japanese in ceremony. They chant their scriptures in Chinese. So, general Japanese cannot understand what it means. So <laughs> So then this is Chinese Buddhist manuscript. It's the commentary on Prajna Paramita Sutra, uh, Perfection of Wisdom. But don't you think this is so beautiful manuscript? It's, it's very beautiful. And this is a kind of typical temple of, in Eastern Asia. This is one of the most famous temple, most famous Chinese temple in Western countries. Can you see what it is? All of you know that. This, this temple. This is the name of the temple. Shaolin Si. Shaolin Temple. Do you know Kung Fu or something? That, that's one. And the next one is Tibetan. Tibetan Buddhist canon is used in uh, Tibet, Mongolia, and Bhutan. In Tibet and Mongolia, people created their letters when they translated Buddhist canon. So uh, it's a, in a century, from a century to 10th century, Tibetan people translated uh, Sanskrit Buddhist canon into their language. And they, importantly, when they translated their Buddhist canon, they created their language based on Sanskrit. So that's a very interesting point. Uh, they, you know, uh, the Tibetan culture is, in that sense, is based on the uh, Buddhism, I think. Excuse me. Yeah. I, I, I didn't quite catch that. Are you saying Tibetan language? Ah, sir, Tibetan letters. Letters. Yeah. Letters yeah. Original? No, no, no. So after that, they uh, created. So before translation of Buddhist canon, there was no letters in Tibet. And they translated the Sarvastivadin canon. Is that correct? Yes, Sarvastivadin canon plus Mahayana and Vajrayana. Right. So the, the letters or the script that they used. Is a derivative of the Right, right. So if you compare uh, the... Uh, actually, Tibetan letters is very similar to Sanskrit. So... Because they have to imitate it, in a sense. So, yeah. But... St Grammar and the structure of Tibet is very different from Sanskrit. So it's more, it seems to me that Tibetan is uh, more closer to Japanese. So they don't, they have a, uh, uh, anyway, it's totally different from Indo European language. Uh, from 8th century to 10th century, they translated Buddhist canon. 
This is a Tibetan manuscript. Yeah. So, this is a Potala palace. So, I hope Dalai Lama go back to his country. And then now, let me talk about the Buddhist canon. Pali is the uh, Pali canon is used in Sri Lanka and continental Southeast Asia, Burma, Thai, Laos, and Cambodia, because Theravada Buddhism spread into these countries. And the language, oh sorry, languages of this area shares many words of Pali. So Pali became a kind of Latin in Sri Lanka and Southeast Asia. So intelligent people and monks and nuns had to learn Pali to study the Buddhist canon. And then they preached, still now they preach Pali first and then translate into their languages for audience. So that's why languages of this area are still, how say, include that to, came to include party many words. So, for example, let me show an example. Uh, they say television. Uh, in Sri Lanka, it's a tulatasana. And in Thai, it's also tulatattana. It means tula in Pali. Tula, it means uh, far. And tasana means vision or see, so television. It's a translation of Latin, from Latin into Pali, so tele, tula, dasana, vision. So still now they are creating their words using Pali. So at that point, uh, if you study, a, if you are interested in this area's culture, you have to study Pali. So this is Pali manuscript in Thai script, in Thai letters. So, and they, uh, as she said, Pali has no letters. It's be- no script, which is better, no letters, script. Pali has no original script. So it was a trans- t- tradition, uh, oral tradition. So in Sri Lanka, they scribed in Sinhalese and in Birmi. In Burma, they scribed Pali canons in Burmese and in Thai, they scribed in Thai. So that's why this is the Thai script. So, but, but you don't, don't have to, we don't teach these scripts here today, but it, 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 all scripts can be Romanized, so. And yeah. And then this is a Buddha Gosa. He is a um, famous, one of the f- most famous monk of Theravada Buddhism, and he wrote many books like uh, Vistimaka, Path to uh, Purification, uh, and in fifth century. And my book was about him. So <laughs> this is the scene that he gave. Vistimaka to his disciple. So, at last, uh, let me talk about the importance of Pali. 
As I say, there now there are, there remain three languages of Buddhist canon: Chinese, Tibetan, and Pali. And Chinese and Tibetan is uh, Chinese and Tibetan are translation from Sanskrit, so it's not original language. However, Pali is uh, is itself one of the ancient Indian languages. So Pali. So it should be similar to Buddha's language. I cannot say that Pali is uh, Buddha's language itself, but uh, I cannot say that. But uh, yeah, it's clearly it's uh, similar to Buddha's language. So if you wanna, if you are interested in the Buddha's language, Pali is the most important language. I can say that. And then secondly. <laughs> Pali is the only language in which the complete canon of a particular Buddhist school is preserved. Sorry, yeah. Oh, you said that um, Chinese and Tibetan are translations from the Sanskrit? Oh, that's, it sounds strange, sorry. It's, it's not original Indian languages. And then there's a language of uh, the Buddhist canon was translated into so from so from Sanskrit to Chinese. So did it go from how did it get from Pali to Sanskrit? Pali to Sanskrit. Yes. Uh, do you know you you want to know the connection between Pali and Sanskrit, because, right? Uh, yeah, for them to translate from Sanskrit to Chinese and Tibetan. Right. Translating from the Sanskrit. Yeah. So I'm wondering how it got from Pali to Sanskrit. Great, great. Okay, yeah. That, that's an important okay. point. Yes, thank you. Uh, right. Uh, yes. Uh, actually, if you compare Pali and Sanskrit, there's not so big difference. It's a... It's a at least, sound is almost similar. And if you learn Sanskrit, you can understand what Pali means. Uh, what it means in Pali. So there's no, no big di- difference first. And then difference is uh, Pali was a canonical language in Theravada tradition. And Sanskrit was a canonical language of other, another school, maybe Sarvasivada was also. So, so after Buddha's Parinibbana, maybe we are not sure, but uh, maybe at the latest, the first century, there are some schools appeared. Uh, because at the, yeah, in the inscription of uh, first century, Sarvastivada's name is mentioned. So maybe at, from this time, some schools appeared. And then each school kept their scriptures in each language. So, but anyway, both. Sorry. Yeah, but all of these languages are kept their la- canon in ancient Indian language languages. So there's not so big difference, actually. But uh, but anyway, only Pali had. Pali is the only language in which the complete canon of a particular Buddhist school is preserved. Sarvastivada's canon, almost all Sarvastivada's canon were lost. 
and other schools' canon were also lost. But only Theravada is keeping complete canon. So at that point, if you want to study early Buddhism, Pali is the most important language. So, did, did you say, yeah. Professor, that the Salasavada was the canon was written originally in Sanskrit? Right. And the Sanskrit canon was then translated into that name, Chinese. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Salasavada, is that contemporary with Theravada? Yes, it's the same time. It's, uh, but it disappeared in India. Yeah. So, right. So, when some of the Mahayana or Vajrayana schools critique the so called Hinayana, mm -hmm. it sounds like they're actually critiquing the Sarvastivada right. Sanskrit schools and really not making any comments about Theravada Buddhism. Is that correct? It's true. It's true. That's, I'm very, oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, can I talk first? Yeah, later, yeah. Yeah. Right, it's true. It, that, that, that's an interesting point. I, I, as a Buddhist scholar, I'm very interested in th that point. Uh, yeah, it, it's, first point, it's clear that, as you said, many Mahayana, Mahayana scholars, Mahayana monks criticize the Sarvasivada. For example, Nagarjuna, he's criti clearly criticizing Sarvasivada Abhidhamma. And Vasubandhu, also, he's clearly criticizing Sarvasivada Abhidhamma, and he's want, he tried to create Mahayana Abhidhamma, Abhidharma. So, but uh, it seems to me that no Mahayana monk criticize, is criticizing Theravada tradition. Well, I wonder if they're even aware of the distinction. The, the distinction between Sarvasivada and Theravada? I see. I think that's a problem of place, not, a, not philosophy, I think. Because uh, Nangarujuna and Vasubandhu was a person in North India, but Theravada's center was a Sri Lanka. So place a little bit different first. And then distinction of philosophy doesn't matter in case, I think, but, uh, but the biggest difference between Sarvasvada and Theravada is uh, a definition of Dhamma, Dharma. In Theravada tradition, dharma, dharmas exist, and it's a realities. But uh, Theravada doesn't emphasize like uh, Sarvasvada, so that's I think the biggest difference. But I, I didn't, sorry, I didn't understand what you just said. Uh, Can I say it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what he's, please correct me. Yeah, 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 yeah. please, please. If my understanding is in the Sarvastivada Abhidharma, they actually say that even though dharmas are arising and passing away, if, while they're there, they actually have inherent existence. And, and that's a... Uh, Theravada Abhidharma, what I've seen, doesn't say that. Is this correct, Professor? Yeah, Jackson? yeah, yeah. So that one of the Mahayana criticisms then of what they call Hinayana, which is really Sarvastivada students, they're saying, oh, the Hinayana they don't really understand because they think things have inherent existence. They still don't, it's, it's not the highest wisdom, but they're actually not criticizing any actual living schools of Buddhism. They're criticizing Abhidhamma for a school that doesn't exist anymore. 
Yeah, right, right, right. I agree with you. <laughs> yes, please. I understand the, um, if you compare the Chinese uh, Theravada canon and the Pali canon, they're almost identical. How would you compare the two in there? Right. Some, a part of Chinese canon are really identical with the Pali canon, yes. The, yeah. Not not so big difference actually yes, and then that part which a part the part of Chinese canon which is identical with Pali is uh, from Sarvastivadin canon. Right. So yeah. Sarvastivadin canon and the Pali canon they believe were also things that get lost in translation. Say. Right, right, right. So th that's also interesting point, isn't it? I I I'm comparing the Chinese canon to. Tibetan canon and the Pali canon. So it's the, yeah, and I believe that if you compare these three kinds of canons, uh, we can reconstruct the earliest Buddhist canon, I think. So that's also one of my, what I'm doing, but yeah, that's important point. Thank you. And any questions? You're trying to triangulate among the different schools to go back to it. Right. Time. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. But, but, and then, yeah, more and more I study, I, I'm realizing that party is a very important part of language, of course. So, otherwise, because Chi if you study only Chinese and Tibetan, it's difficult to imagine the original meaning of terms, you know, it's a, uh, for example, panya or prajna, it means wisdom, but it, it, it's, if you read it in Chinese, you cannot see the context of prajna or panya. So, Buddha was also a person in 5th century BC. There, uh, his discourse is in the historical context. So without Indian language, without party, you cannot imagine what this word was working. You cannot see function of the Prajunya or Panya, for example. So maybe I will explain the context of in ancient Indian language later. So yeah. So this is introduction to party history and that's all. So Thank you very much. So, yeah, this is the first thing.